0: You know what I said about snow in Seattle. It's supposed to be snowing pretty hard at Lambeau. Okay, so a football story for you. It's funny because Pastor Dan spoke last week about, you know, I think he titled it, I didn't sign up for this. And I was thinking about his message and I had thought about this thing that happened to me when uh, when I was a little bit younger that I had that same thought run through my head. Um, I was I was playing for a company football team. I mean, some guys came to me and they're like, "Hey, our, our company's in a city league. Why don't you come play with us?" And I was like, "Sure," you know. And, and I was I was about 27, so it was you know about 10 years ago or so. <laughs> you guys aren't buying 10 years. Okay, might be a little more than 10 years ago. So, yeah, I thought, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go play on this city league. It's going to be fun, um, you know. I was about 27, so at that point, football is really behind us, you know, I was playing basketball all the time, but football is fun, I love it, so we go out here to play, and there's really no positions, you're kind of, you're winging it, you know, so I played up on the line, and I rushed quite a bit, so I was a linebacker, you know, I played basketball a couple of years ago with some of you at the church, and someone called me Shaq, <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? I didn't play nose tackle in my football team here. I played linebacker. I just want to be clear about that. So we were before the game This we had, this game this weekend. We're just warming up. And so we were pass rushing and stuff. And after one play that we were running, the guy who was, was, was blocking me, after the play, he looks over at me and he's like, dude, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? And he looked down at my hand and he goes, your finger. And I was like, my finger? And a couple other guys stopped. you know, And when people stop walking... And they start going like, you know, that's usually a sign that there's something bad going on here. Now, I learned a long time ago, we don't look when we hurt ourselves, okay? It's just better not to see it. So I've prided myself on the fact that, you know, I've never passed out or started screaming from pain and stuff like that because I just don't go there. So he says to me, your hand. So I reached down. And I start going like this with my fingers except that I got to the first knuckle and my finger wasn't straight. Okay, so I've got a picture of a dislocated finger. (laughs) That's a sissy one. (laughs) My finger was going straight up. Okay, it was my ring finger. I'm going like this and then, then I'm going. Fingers aren't supposed to do that. And then I hear some of the ouches out there. That starts rolling through my head, and I start thinking, what do I do? Like, do I need to go over to the emergency room? And then I thought, by the time I go to the emergency room, this thing is going to be so swollen, and it's going to be so hard for them to fix it that it is going to kill. So I told myself, just do it right now. Just fix it. If I fix it right away, it's going to be okay. But if I wait, it's going to get a lot worse. So I grab the end of that finger. Okay, I'll spare you. I put it back real quick. (laughs) I didn't think I could do it. I've never done that before. It was easy. I got that thing back in there, and then I started going like this. I'm like, that feels right. And then I started going like this. I can move it. Well, then we we are getting ready to play the game, so what then? And the guy that was working with me, he's like, man, it's no problem. We just taped that finger to your middle finger there. We'll tape them together. You can play anyway. I was like, sure, all right. So we went ahead and we taped it up, and I played the game anyway. And I got to thinking about the significance of that. See, I'm really weird about this in that life things happen, and I see the Scripture, I see things that Jesus was trying to teach us, and I see it out of life events. So what did I see out of this thing with my finger? Matthew 5.23, Jesus said, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift." Okay, the thing to understand here is that we're not talking about coming to church and giving an offering. He says, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, you would have to go to Jerusalem. You'd have to make an appointment. You're gonna have to see the priest and you're gonna have gone to a lot of trouble to get some kind of an offering. So this is a pretty big deal. And he's saying, even though you've gone to all of this trouble and you're at this big event, if you remember when you're there that your brother has something against you, you need to take care of it. That word there in the Greek that says that your brother has something against you, it's not one-sided. It doesn't mean your brother's got a problem with you. It means you mutually have something between the two of you. He says, leave your gift there and then go take care of it with your brother. After you've taken care of that or you've become mutually reconciled, then come and offer your gift. What do we see? We see that God has a priority that doesn't always match ours. God prioritizes forgiveness ahead of anything that we can offer him, whether it's a sacrifice or our time or our energy, whatever it could be. God doesn't need it more than he needs us to forgive for one another. So what does that got to do with the finger, though? Go on to verse 25. Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or... Your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus was given a scenario that involved the courts of the day, but it's a life principle that applies to us today. Just like my dislocated finger. Take care of it quickly. It's going to be a lot better than if I leave it like that for a while and let it swell and get worse. Jesus says, you need to be reconciled with your brother. And then he goes on to say, do it quickly, using that court example. Because if you don't, it can get really bad. Sometimes if you don't make it right and it goes the distance, you're going to regret it. You should notice in here, he says, you cannot come out of that jail until you've paid the very last penny. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen in the gas station that little cup that's like the little penny cup. If you need one, you could take one. If you have a couple extra, throw it in there. There have been times I've thought about that cup. That's another one of those weird things. I see that cup and I think scripture because I think, man, I wish I had one of those cups when I mess up relationally. You know, if I said something to one of my family members or something and I offended them, like I wish I could just grab something out of the cup and go, you know, can we make it Right. Proverbs 18, 19 says that a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. I've got a picture of a fortress, a walled city. I don't know if you can see this very well. But you can see the walls, and then I just kind of drew in. See, there's a bench right there. You know that most fortresses in the ancient times didn't have benches out in the front, right? That was something that was added later. So I put a little guy, that could be you, right there in front of it. So imagine that's you and your job is to take, conquer that city right there. That's what Proverbs is saying. When we've wronged a brother, it can be harder to make it right than to win a a, a walled city. So what do we do? We keep short lists, and we take care of things quickly. Keep short lists and take care of things quickly when there's a problem. But what about when things are already bad? How about if I didn't take care of it quickly, and it's already gone bad? In Matthew, Jesus is talking to us about prevention of a problem. In Luke, we have a story here where he's talking about the cure for a problem that's already bad. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus said, Guard yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. What does that mean to rebuke them? That doesn't mean that we say to them, Knock it off. Hey. The rebuke that we're talking about here is that we say to somebody, hey, you've wronged me. I'm, you offended me in this. You're taking advantage of me. You've done something. Okay, it's okay for us to talk to one another and communicate with one another, but, but we don't. At least here as Americans, we don't do that. We, we don't tell the person who's offended us that they've offended us. We stay quiet about it and tell other people. That they've offended us and we get upset about it now you can't make it right with somebody who doesn't know that there's a problem there so jesus gives us a principle right off the bat now you need to remember that there's a kingdom principle here that is different than what the world lives like remember that in first john he talked about how if we live in the light if we walk in the light as jesus is in the light we have fellowship with one another Okay, the intent here is going to be that we are in fellowship with one another and that we're open with one another. So if you wrong me, I should be able to tell you that you wronged me in this. And because you're walking in fellowship with me, you care. And so you want to make it right. So you repent and I forgive you. That's what we're supposed to do. But Jesus goes on and he says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. I don't know about you, but if anybody does anything seven times in a day to me, it's going to annoy me. Okay, so that's a pretty high challenge right there. But that's a kingdom principle. It doesn't say if somebody comes against you, they sin against you seven times in a day, but you're in the right then you you don't have to forgive them we don't have an escape clause there americans love exceptions we love ex- we don't like rules because rules don't have exceptions we like exceptions well i don't have to in this case right what about then if your brother sins against you you must forgive him unless he's really in the wrong and you're in the right but think about that that doesn't even make any sense If my brother trespasses against me, if he sins against me, then he is in the wrong and I'm in the right. Right? Isn't that what that's saying? If you've sinned against me, then you are in the wrong and I'm in the right. So even though I can justify like you had no right to do that, I could be angry with you because of what you've done. I am justified to be angry because I was in the right and you were in the wrong and you've sinned against me. So I don't have to forgive under those circumstances, right? But I do. Jesus said, you must. It's a kingdom principle. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus said, for if you forgive other people when, notice it's when, not if. It's worth waiting for a second on that. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, do you notice where the if is? The if isn't if somebody sins against me. The if is whether or not I'm going to forgive. The when is that they are going to. That's why we're told over and over again to love one another, to forgive one another. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. We love that verse. But there's another verse that goes on in verse 15. But... If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins unless they were really bad sins against you. Unless they've sinned against you eight times in a day. It doesn't say any of that, does it? We have to forgive. See, now meditation is when we spend time just camping on some verses and just really thinking about them. That's all it is. And if you spend some time thinking about that verse right there, it's going to give you some trouble. It's given me trouble. There have been times when someone has done something and I am so mad and it is so over the line. And I have had enough. I don't know if it's eight times in a day, but I know it's probably been 25 times in a year. And I've had enough. And I don't want to forgive. But then I remember that scripture right there because it says I don't really have a choice. There was a one-time sacrifice made by Jesus Christ for me to redeem me from my sins. But there are some conditions with it. And some of those conditions have to do with me living the life. I have to forgive if I've been wronged I still have to forgive, and if I don't, my Father won't forgive my sins. So we go back to Luke 17, where Jesus has said this. So he's telling the disciples, seven times in a day, and you still got to forgive him. And the disciples say, increase our faith. What do they mean when they say increase our faith? They mean help. I don't think I can do it. I think what you're asking is too much, Lord. Now that verse, when I spend some time thinking about that, makes me feel better. Because these guys lived with Jesus 24-7, 365. And if being with him all the time wasn't enough for them to feel like they could do this, then then I can relate. Okay, then no wonder I feel like that's a lot to ask. They said, help. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry, in the actual language, it's a sycamine tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. This mulberry tree. What's the connection? He just got done telling them, if, you, if your brother sins against you, you have to forgive them. And then they say, help, I don't know if I can do that. And then he starts talking about a tree, because they've said the words increase our faith. And then he talks about faith and commanding a tree to go fly into the ocean. Like, where's the connection here in all of that? Well, it's interesting that he chooses a sycamine tree because Jesus knows we're talking about not a tree. And we're not talking about faith, like faith-moving mountains. What we're talking about is we're talking about problems with forgiveness that are strong problems, the big ones. Not the kind where I could agree with my adversary quickly and take care of it before it becomes a problem. He's talking about the big stuff. So here's significant stuff about that tree that he's choosing Number one here is that that sycamine tree has really deep and extensive roots. I got a picture of a sycamine tree for you. It's got very deep and extensive roots. I'll show you a real one too in the next picture. You can't just cut that tree off even with the ground and expect it to die off. It comes back. Because it's got such deep roots, it finds water, and it grows all over in the Middle East throughout all the dry conditions that are there. It thrives in those dry conditions. It's really hard to get rid of. Unforgiveness, which leads to bitterness, is just like that. Deep roots, extensive, and hard to get rid of. Jesus pointed out the sycamine tree because it was a nice illustration Of unforgiveness that gets in, and you can't get rid of it very easily. Secondly, is the fact it grows everywhere, it loves the dry conditions. Bitterness loves spiritually dry conditions. See, we talk about God's presence and we talk about the refreshing presence of the Lord. It's compared to the rain falling. But see, unforgiveness doesn't thrive in that. Unforgiveness thrives in the dry. In fact, if you're having trouble in your life feeling God's presence and connecting with him, you might want to check and see if you've got some unforgiveness going on because they don't cohabit. You might want to check for that. The third thing here about this is that the sycamine tree produces fruit, but the fruit is bitter. It's a very bitter fruit. And I have never met anyone in my life that has got a lot of unforgiveness that has ever been just joyful and happy. Man, I hate that guy. I love life. (laughs) May they all burn and rot. (laughs) Life is good. I've never met anybody like that. Unforgiveness produces a bitter fruit, it's nasty. And some people, man, they're, they're pretty good most of the time. But, man, if you hit an area that they've got a problem in, ooh, it starts coming out. And it's nasty. You don't even want to hear anymore from them because it's so bad. Bitterness. It's got a bitter fruit. Finally, it also, the way that this tree pollinates is kind of strange too. It requires a wasp to come and stick its stinger into the heart of the fruit. You've got to sting the fruit in order for this thing to pollinate and to spread, which again is so much like unforgiveness. See, we can encourage each other. The Bible tells us to encourage each other by talking about the things that God has done for us. When we're discouraged, we can encourage ourselves by talking about, remember when when we were in this situation and God made a way, when it didn't seem like there was a way, when God provided us a financial solution to something we we saw no way out of. And we can encourage it our faith, and make it grow. By the same token, we can spread our unforgiveness by rehashing the matter. When we talk about it again and we bring it back up and we rehearse it, it stings again. It's fresh. It stings. A lot of times it can hurt just as bad as it did the first time that it happened, which causes it to spread. When it spreads it can also spread to other people. If you've got a problem with one person in a particular area and you don't take care of it, the thing that you're so mad about, you can end up putting on to other people as well. And pretty soon, you've got all kinds of problems. When, when uh, my kids were little, I lived out in Olympia, Washington, and I had a, a yard that had all kinds of stuff. We were taking care of a home in my family for somebody, and it had so much stuff. We had an apple tree. We had Concord grapes in the back. We had big rhododendron bushes and all kinds of stuff. The yard was just full of all kinds of things. But one thing it had that drove me crazy was a holly bush. And it didn't have one holly bush. It had a billion of them. They were everywhere. And those things are prickly. I mean, it's great when you see holly out for Christmas and it's hanging on a door or something. But, man, in your yard. So I would go out there and I would whack down the holly bush. And I think, man, I got rid of that thing. And it would grow back. I'm like, how does it happen? So I would go back out there and I dig down and I would dig as far as I could under the ground and I'd lop off those roots and I'd pull that thing out of there and I'm like, now it's gone. And thing would grow back. And so one time I thought, that is it. I've had it. I went out there and I dug down under that holly bush and I took that root. I just grabbed one and I just started digging along with it and tracing it. So we went down for a ways and then it started going parallel to the ground. So I just kept going along with it. I'm going to find the end of this thing. It never tapered off. It stayed the same size, and it just kept going. About seven or eight feet later, it joined another holly bush. (laughs) And then I stepped back, and I started looking. There's another one, and another one, and another one. And I realized these things had networked across my yard. They were everywhere, and they they were all connected to one another. It can feel like that sometimes. Sometimes. It can feel like that. Unforgiveness, you can have issues with people and you want to be rid of them. And sometimes you just don't see how. It can seem overwhelming. But see, Jesus told us you can do something about it. See, Jesus came to set people free. In Isaiah, he quoted the scripture where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. Do you understand that unforgiveness like this makes you captive? You don't control it, it controls you. It influences what you decide to do and how you see other people. Now there are some things that, that we are healed from. That Jesus comes down and the Holy Spirit's power can touch us and heal us of something. There are other things that require us to take a step. And this is one of those things. We can be set free from this, but in this case here, it's not because I'm laying in bed one night and God heals me of unforgiveness. It requires me to take action. And Jesus says, here's the action to take. Say to that tree, which is representative of all that unforgiveness. He says, say to that tree, be plucked up by the root And be planted in the sea. So the plucked up part I get. I can speak in faith. Let's say something about that faith too. A little bit of faith. He said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. The problem is big but you don't need much. I think we've got a picture of a grain of mustard. A mustard seed here. Do you see how tiny that is on the finger? Do you know what it means that Jesus keeps comparing how much faith we need for things to the mustard seed? It means the bar is low. I don't know if you guys can see that. The bar is low. Be a winner every time. (laughs) But listen, that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to be free. He's not setting the bar really high so that we can continue to struggle. He says, if you have just a little bit of faith, just a little bit, you could talk to this big, huge problem, and you could command it to be plucked up by the roots, all the roots, no matter how deep they go, no matter how far, no matter how many other things they're connected to, you could tell it to be plucked up out of your life once and for all. And why doesn't it just stop there? Why does he just say you could command it to be plucked up by the root? Plucked up by the root and thrown on the trash heap. Why does he say and be planted in the sea? Because the sea is full of salt water. And if you take any of your plants and you try and plant them in salt water, they're going to die. That salt water is going to destroy those roots. And it's going to kill it once and for all. So what's he tell us? That you, if you have just that little bit of faith, you can command that unforgiveness to be pulled up, roots and all, the whole thing, out of your life into the sea where those roots are destroyed and it never comes back. You can do that. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it can feel hopeless, but it's not hopeless. We have the power of God. Don't try and do this kind of thing in your own strength because you're just going to wear yourself out. You're just going to end up stuffing feelings and you're just going to end up bubbling over at some other point. And when you go to forgive, there's no magic phrase to make things right with somebody. Do you know that the phrase, I forgive you, never appears anywhere in the scriptures? Because it's not about our words, it's about our heart. Unforgiveness is a heart issue. And the Holy Spirit's power is what changes the heart. We can ask him to make that change. So, use a little bit of faith. Speak to that root. Call it by name. Command it to be uprooted and planted in the sea once for all. Out of your life. Call it by name. Let me go back to that. When you know what that thing is, it might be an issue that always causes you problems. It could be a person that you've had a problem with. You need to call it by name and say, that thing, that unforgiveness, the bitterness that I have toward this person, I command that thing to be rooted up right now and planted in the sea, out of my life forever, once and for all. And when the temptation comes, as it does, to bring it back up and to rehash it, don't go there. Understand that if you go there, you're just like the wasp, stinging the fruit and starting it all over again. Don't go there. Let it go. I told you when I had dislocated my finger that after I got it back in place, I taped it together and I played in the game. And so I'm proud to say I had a good game. I intercepted one pass at the line of scrimmage. I sniffed out this play. The guy was trying, the quarterback was trying to get us to rush in, and he was going to throw the ball right where we had been. And I saw that, so I dropped back. So he didn't see me, and he threw the ball hard to this guy who was right behind me. So I jumped up and made the interception. And the tip of that ball hit my finger, right on the knuckle. Oh, it killed. But I held on to the ball, because <laughs> it always doesn't hurt so bad if we make the play. <laughs> But see, again, there's a principle that, that shows itself to me there. I fixed my finger right away, but that didn't mean my finger was like it used to be. It was going to take a while to heal. We can command that kind of unforgiveness and those bitter roots to come out of our lives, but we have to understand that that doesn't mean that things are just all of a sudden magically better. This still can be tender, You know, when it really depends on how bad the issue is. It could be tender for a while, which means it's a temptation to start talking about it again and start the whole process could be really strong too. We don't go there. When that thought comes up, man, you say, Lord, help me right now. I need a door out of this temptation so I can get out of this. I don't want to restart that. Remember that God is with you, not just when you're in here, but all the time. You can always talk to him all the time. Lord, help me right now so we don't go back there into that place again. We don't allow the devil to have a foothold and start this process for us all over again. Remember that if you have an issue that's been causing you trouble for a long time and you haven't taken care of it, there's a good chance that you now have similar problems with a number of other people because of spreading. So go house clean, take care of all of them. Start commanding every last one of those and get them all out of there. If I'd owned that house I was in, I would have given my summer to eradicating holly bushes everywhere I could find them. See, we don't need the bitter fruit of unforgiveness in our life. We need the life-giving fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that fruit comes from living the life. It comes from following the example that Jesus Christ set forth for us. See, Jesus never commanded us to do anything that he didn't do first. He modeled this for us. When he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He's bearing the sins of the entire world. These people that he came to save, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He led the way. He told us if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So, let's be free. And let's be free from it today. Maybe you're in here and I touched a nerve. And if you're honest with yourself, you'd say unforgiveness is just eating you alive. Maybe most of the time it's okay, but sometimes it gets unleashed and you know that it's poisoning you. I struggle with unforgiveness for a number of years. I've heard a hundred messages on unforgiveness, maybe 200. A message on unforgiveness has never changed me. It's not about what I hear and it's not about what I know. It's about what I do. The power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that I've ever found that's been able to change my heart. It's the only thing that has ever allowed me to be able to get success over unforgiveness. Get free today. If there's somebody that you need to talk to, talk to them today. If there's an issue that you need to deal with, don't put it off, take care of it today. Today is your day of salvation. Today is the day that you can be free from this once and for all. If the Holy Spirit is bringing an issue to your mind right now, don't blow it off. Spend some time on it. If you know that somebody else has a problem with you, and maybe you've said to yourself, well, it's not my problem, it's theirs. But if it's within your power to make it right, make it right. The apostle Paul told us that he would take wrong rather than cause somebody else, a believer, to stumble. Laying himself down. Why would he lay himself down? Because that's what Jesus did. Laid himself down for all of us. It's his example. Sometimes that sycamine tree has been so big and so deep for so long that even though I may command it to be gone today, tomorrow it's a problem for me. If you've got to work at it, if you've got to get up every day for a week and command that thing to be gone, do it. Be persistent and keep commanding it to be gone until it you can't come back. Be gone forever. Maybe you're in here today. You're struggling with the fact that you're not sure you can forgive yourself. And because you can't forgive yourself, you're not sure if God can forgive you Let me just tell you that if you're in here, if you're even thinking about the Lord, it's because the Holy Spirit is calling you. And it's not too late. Today could be your day of salvation. God didn't wait for us to get our act together to forgive us. He forgave us even when we're lost in our sins, every single one of us. He called us. You can be free from that today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take a moment to give that an opportunity for anybody in here who would like prayer today for salvation you'd say I want to know Jesus I want to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life I want to know that I'm set free if that's you today and you'd say please pray for me I want salvation today just put your hand up anybody today you just want salvation today okay as you stay in an attitude of prayer Let's take a moment right now and let's just wait on the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Areas of unforgiveness or a person that you need to make something right with. His presence is here. might be showing you something right now. He might be showing you how to do it. Sometimes we don't know how to do it in ourselves. We want to make something right so badly, but we don't know how. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom and show you how. And never underestimate the power of looking somebody directly in the eye and saying, you know what? I did this and it was wrong. And I'm sorry. Father, we want to live in all areas of our life. As your son lived, he modeled it for us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for always going first, always being the one to lead the way. Thank you for your faithfulness. Father, right now, we release unforgiveness, We release that person, that thing that we've been so angry about for so long. We release that to you. We surrender it to you. And we ask you, Lord, replace it with something else. Replace it with forgiveness. Replace it with compassion. Replace it with hope. Lord, we just pray for the refreshing hope from your presence, Lord. I pray for each and every person that's in here today that has struggled with this and wants to be free. I pray for them, Father. I pray for them. I rebuke the voice of the enemy that would try to tell them that they can't, that they're the problem, that it's too late, that there's no hope for this. No, your word says that there is hope, that it's never too late, that there's nothing you can't rebuild, there's nothing that you can't restore, that you can't make new again. I pray you have that way with each and every person in here, Father and specifically those people who are wanting that freedom today. Father, see those needs. Meet those needs today. I pray if they want that and they don't know how it could happen, I pray, Lord, that you would open a door. You would make a way that shows them that you are on their side. Something they thought could never happen. Blow their mind, Lord. I pray you would blow their mind. Because, Father, we don't want to be people that just know a lot. We want to be people who know you We want to be people who look like you look, that we reflect the character of your son, Jesus Christ, in every single area of our life. I pray you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.